welcome to the Hadassah Collective podcast. I'm your host, Claire Marinan. The Hadassah Collective is a unique wellness-centered community created in and inspired by India, the birthplace of holistic health disciplines. The Hadassah Collective podcast brings together a carefully curated selection of my most trusted and inspiring innovators from every area of the health and wellness space. I invite my guests to freely share their gifts, their wisdom, their journeys, and their diverse points of view, discussing a vast range of topics, including shutdown and self-isolation strategies, integrated diet and fitness, yogic science, modern mental health, and holistic lifestyle, all to inspire you with relatable tools to help you consciously customize, support, and expand your life. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Taryn Newton-Gill. Taryn is an attachment theory expert and the founder of Truer Love. In this episode, we discuss in great detail attachment theory and the different attachment styles and how the attachment styles relate to each other. So the study of attachment theory helps us understand ourselves better and understand the people in our lives better and helps us move into a more conscious, loving way of conducting our relationships. Hi, Taryn. Welcome to the Hadassah Collective. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Um, I find attachment theory so, so interesting. So it's fantastic to have you on board. And I'm so ready to pick your brain about this. And welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Amazing. Amazing. So let's get straight into it. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and um, how you sort of started to become on this path? Yeah, so um, I like to call myself a love guide and female empowerment coach, um, which basically means that I help female identifying people navigate their love relationships. Uh, Typically, this is a romantic relationship, but it can really be any relationship. Um, And I do this through a lens of self-love by focusing on three pillars, uh, which are confidence, consciousness, and intuition. Um, And I was really inspired to do this work from my own experience, both just working with women a lot as a professional makeup artist, but also from my own struggles uh, in romantic relationships. Uh, I I spent a lot of time heartbroken, um, and I didn't know why. So that kind of, um, the combination of those experiences just kind of naturally started leading me on this path, the desire to work with women and realizing, you know, how much we suffer and need, and need more support in our confidence and in our relationships. Um, and, and that kind of led me to where I am now. Amazing. Amazing. It's so interesting. That's so beautiful as well, that it's like empowerment through education and more inspiration rather than just sort of being lost and confused and why isn't this working out for me so I think that's such a beautiful place to come from yeah and so tell me a little bit about your background um, your early childhood life where you grew up and um, has that shaped your path at all 100% I would say yes Um, I grew up in a pretty nuclear family a father and a mother and I was the oldest of three kids Um, and like many people, I think of our generation, my parents, um, met when they were very young, when they were teenagers and in their early twenties. Um, both my grandparents had met the same way. And so I grew up kind of with this understanding that love just happened, you know, um, you meet, you fall in love, 
you live happily ever after, you know, and of course all the media and movies and songs out there reinforce that idea. So I just thought that's how it happened. Um, and so when I started actually being interested in love relationships, um, I was very shocked. My story did not go that way. Um, each boyfriend I had, I would get extremely attached to and then um, was left pretty devastated afterwards and not knowing what I did wrong. Um, and this was kind of throughout my, you know, I think my first boyfriend that I can remember calling a boyfriend was when I was 12. And I remember having this problem all throughout my college years into my 20s. And then in my mid-20s, my younger sister got married. And that just kind of... I think highlighted me as the not married one. I don't mm. want to say old maid because I, I don't think I was really seen as an old maid per se, but that was kind of the idea that suddenly my singlehood was more, uh, you know, apparent to everybody. Mm. Um, I remember, you know, people saying to me when they found out Megan, my sister was, you know, engaged and I wasn't, oh, don't worry, sweetie, it'll happen for you, you know? And so I just kept getting this messaging that, there was something wrong with me or, you know, or like, you know, what's your problem that you can't get it together and get, a, you know, get engaged. Um, and it just really started to bother me that, um, that this was what I was being told as a young 20 something woman, you know, that I was yeah. being taught to value myself based on whether or not I had a man in my life. Yeah. And so I kind of became actually very resistant to marriage or to, you know, I kind of, went to the other camp of like, I'm going to be independent. I don't need anyone in my life. Leave me alone. Don't ask me about dating. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and, but I, you know, I had this struggle because deep down I did want a partner, you know? And so then I felt like hypocrite. And so there was just a lot of, of struggle there. Um, there's a lot of societal programming there, right? I think that that's a very interesting thing because, you know, um, sometimes women are looked at like that. That's a very real thing. That wasn't something that was just in your head. And it's sort of seen as, um, with women, it's like, what's wrong with you if you don't have a man? Whereas with men, it's more like they're choosing to be single or they just haven't yeah. met the right one yet. Like, it's really interesting parallel yeah. there. So A hundred percent. And it, it made me realize that I think what the root, it comes down to for me is that particular message is that women our self-worth is sometimes validated by having a man whereas even though a man might want a relationship his self-worth isn't dependent on it and that for me is the real root a lot of women's confidence in life you know because that's how we're taught to view ourselves through the gaze of whether or not we're interesting to men and then it's interesting as well how you play into that how you we also then have this very interesting conflicting sort of I would say like hardline feminist narrative as well going on, that it's like women are as good as men, women can do anything that men can do, which, you know, is true. But when it comes from that sense of harshness and abandonment of, of men, yes. um, it's yes. a, that's a really contradictory thing that you had going on in, your, in yourself at that time. A hundred percent. And it, and it's also because I was all viewing everything through that male lens, that like kind of you know, in de valuing independence and being strong, like those are all very male qualities we're taught to appreciate. Whereas, you know, I still had this soft feminine in me that couldn't be realized. And that's what I want to help women realize is to realize that soft fem feminine and embrace it. Yeah. 
for themselves whether or not there's a man involved, you know, that they can feel good about themselves either way. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. And um, so let's get stuck into some of the theory. And what is attachment theory and what are the different attachment styles? Yeah, so um, I, you know, I love talking about this. And um, I, I, I want to say I initially got into attachment theory because when I was struggling in my relationships, my therapist started mentioning, oh, this is your attachment style. And I thought, okay, what is that? And I wanted to look into it more. And um, it's really fascinating. Um, attachment theory, you know, most basically is the focus on relationships and how we bond with other people, um, particularly in long-term relationships, um, but specifically between a parent and child and between romantic partners. Um, it can be applied to all relationships. But we initially form what's called our attachment style um, through our, our caregiver, our primary caregiver. Um, and that's basically how available or present they are in our formative years, how um, emotionally or physically present they are, and how consistent they are, how consistently present they are. And then that extends to our other relationships and then can really be seen in romantic attachments where um, intimacy is so important. Um, so that's kind of just generally what attachment theory is. Um, and it was actually first developed by a British psychoanalyst named John Bowlby, um, who realized that attachment and being close to other people is really just as much a survival mechanism as food and water that like based in the early 1900s, there were studies of orphans who had food, had water, had what everyone thought they needed to survive, but were still dying because they didn't have emotional attachments. Um, and he found this really fascinating and um, was also really inspired by Charles Darwin and the idea of survival of the fittest. And he realized that early humans actually who didn't have an attachment system, and what that means is our attachment system is um, different hormones like um, oxytocin, which is considered the love or cuddle hormone, and vasopressin, that early humans who didn't have that attachment system were more likely to die out or, or not survive. They were more likely to be prey because they didn't have other people around them to help them survive. Um, and so that's why humans now biologically are drawn to want to connect with people. Um, but what happens is that depending on how we were raised, and how present our caregivers were really depends how comfortable we are with intimacy. Um, and so actually John Bowlby and his assistant, a woman named Mary Ainsworth, they created what was called the strange situation test. Um, I think a lot of psychologists probably know about this. It's a very famous test now. And that's where they started to really see attachment styles. And um, basically it would be a, a mother would go into a room with a researcher and her toddler and then she would leave and come back after three minutes. And what they saw was that um, the child would respond in a number of ways. So if it was a secure child, what that means is they were comfortable uh, with receiving love and, and getting love because they had a parent who was there and present and ready to soothe them so that when their parent left the room, they cried. But when their parent came back, they were happy again and, and quickly forgave them. Whereas the anxious child, their parent would leave and they would cry. But when their parent came back, the anxious child would kind of be standoffish and act like they didn't care that their parent was back. Um, but when they were tested, they, their stress hormones were just as high 
as the kid who was crying and who was happy when their parent came back. And then with the avoidant child, that child, um, when their parent left, they showed no signs of stress. They were quiet, they didn't cry, but again, their stress levels were just as high. And so that's how they came to start to understand that that based on the availability of their parent and how they're raised, they start having these different reactions. And they found that that people, um, that children who had parents who were a little warmer and more approachable tended to have more secure children. And that the parents who were a little colder and more standoffish had more avoidant children. Um, and then um, this kind of progressed. Um, there were the, these other researchers came upon um, later, who built on this theory, uh, Phil Shaver and Cindy Hazan basically furthered these findings and realized that the same dynamic that's set up in childhood extends to your adult relationships. Um, and so they established these three types of styles. So you have your secures, you have your anxious, and you have your avoidance. Um, and then you have a very small group called fearful avoidance who are actually a combination of anxious attachment and avoidance. And so they are about 5% of people, and they have very rocky relationships because they are want closeness like an anxious person, but are avoidant um, in the same way that an avoidant person is. Um, and so, I mean, I can get into the nitty-gritty of each style if you want. I don't know if you have any questions about that before I go on about it. Let's talk a little bit about more in more detail about each of the types. Um, so that if anybody yeah. is listening, then they can maybe use this and they can maybe identify themselves in that. Um, I think that would be really useful. Okay, great. So basically what I had mentioned, the secure type. The secure type is kind of like if life were perfect, everyone would be secure, you know. Uh, we're secure types are balanced and they are they don't really have what's called a core wound meaning um, a core wound or a core belief is the recurring perceptions that replay in our subconscious of like, I'm going to be abandoned, I'm not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. So secure people tend to have less of those because their parents responded to their needs and gave them attention. And so they're very comfortable with intimacy. They see, you know, the good in people. They, they trust people more easily. Um, whereas an anxious type, which I am an anxious type, um, we have a, what's called a core wound around abandonment because our parents were inconsistently available. And so what we do is we tend to have, um, be generally very self-sacrificing. So like when you hear the term people pleaser, these are often anxious attachment types. Um, yeah. We're really afraid of rejection and we want to be close at all costs because when our parents were inconsistently available, it made us anxious all the time. Like, are they going to be there? Are they not going to be there? And so we become very preoccupied with our relationships. We kind of overcompensate. So if someone is not getting back to us, let's say we're texting someone and they don't respond for a while, it's like becomes all we can think about. And then it's like that, should I text them? Should I not? I want to, but are they going to reject me? Are we going to push them away? That anxiety, that's very characteristic, obviously, of an anxious attachment type. Yeah. Um, and then an avoidant attachment type, basically, they do want to be close, but they grew up with a, ch a parent who maybe was abusive or neglectful, and so they had to self-soothe. Um, and 
so they tell them they've placed a high value on independence and they find vulnerability very uncomfortable and very painful and so they try to push it away at all costs and so you know avoidant people yes they avoid they'll not get back to you but they also have what's called protest behavior so all the types have a certain protest behavior meaning when they're uncomfortable they tend to do these behaviors. So like avoidance often, you know, people who are really nitpicky, uh, who kind of start seeing the worst in people after a while and focusing on that, or maybe they start finding reasons not to cuddle or have sex, um, or they'll kind of put like their past relationships on a pedestal, or they'll put, they'll have this idealistic relationship that they say they'll never find Mm. because it's all of it's just anything that's not present intimacy, you know? Um, and then again, the fearful avoidant person is kind of a, a, a combination of anxious and avoidant where they are, they're very sensitive to rejection, but rather than overcompensating like an anxious person, they shut down like an avoidant person and will start avoiding you. Mm. So, um, that's kind of like the general types and, um, and then how they, how they interact can be really interesting. Yeah. Okay. That is interesting. And um, so how did you identify and then apply attachment theory in your personal story? So um, I was struggling a lot, as I've mentioned, in relationships. And I, I thought something was wrong with me. You know, I think all those messaging, all the messaging I was getting already being a female, you know, um, and then on top of that, I couldn't understand why I had great friendships, I had a good family, but I couldn't figure out this relationship situation. And when my um, my therapist pointed out, I was actually doing something called the four-man plan. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this. No, I haven't. Um, but it's a theory that women, you know, men more naturally date many women, but women are very focused on that one person. And the idea is that when you you date multiple men, I mean... A, her theory is that men are more competitive. They're taught to be competitive, and so they actually find people more desirable when they're seeing other people, which is kind of fucked up, but, like, a little bit true. Um, (laughs) And then um, the other thing is that when you're dating multiple people, you can kind of compare them more easily and see what you like and see what you don't. And so I was dating multiple people, one of them being my now fiance, um, at the time. And the person who I was seeing alongside him, I was so into, but I was being so triggered by, mm-hmm. um, he like wouldn't, you know, when he was with me, which is a very avoidant, this is a very avoidant way to be. So when he was with me, he was very present. We were awesome. We got along, da, 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 da. But then when we weren't together, he was nowhere to be found. And like, I would text him and be like five or six hours later, he'd be very casual. You know, he wouldn't initiate dates. Um, and it was triggering me and I was becoming like obsessed with it. Like, why isn't he calling me? wasn't, you know, like that anxious cycle. And it was when, but, but then at the same time, my now fiance, who's a secure attachment, I, I didn't, so, so an interesting thing is that anxious types were so used to that anxiety that we, we think that it's butterflies, right? Like Mm. we think that when you're like swept off your feet and obsessed with someone, that's what we think is natural. And I didn't feel anxious with my fiance, you know, I, he, he made me feel secure and he was consistent. And, um, and so because of that, a lot of times anxious people, when they're first dating secure people who are actually the ones who are good for them, we actually think they're boring. 
you know, we, we like write them off because we're not like all over the place. Um, and so I was kind of battling with these two relationships and, and my therapist pointed this out and, and realizing it, I actually had broken up with my then fiance, my now fiance then, because I, for, for this reason, Mm, like I'm not getting butterflies. I need, I need butterflies. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but then I couldn't stop thinking about my fiance because really we connected really well and we went to movies and laughed in all the same places. And so I kind of came groveling back to him like seven months later and now we're together. Um, but what it really showed me though, that I, and why I'm so passionate about attachment theories, because it showed me that, oh, there was nothing wrong with me that whole time. All that time I really thought I just couldn't get it together, you know, that I was missing something. When truly it was all this human patterning that so many people deal with. Yeah. And when you start realizing all the things like overcompensating in a relationship, being preoccupied with it, putting your partner on a pedestal, all these hallmarks of your style, you start to realize, oh, like that's where this is all coming from. It gives you this framework to be objective in your relationships rather than it all coming from this like hyper emotional reactive place. So interesting Um, as well. Like when you talk about um, the anxious style being so used to being anxious in that space, I'm sure there is also a sort of addiction to the hormone release as well around the anxiety that, that needs to sort of be detoxed as well, that that you're very used to and you're constantly spiking that adrenaline maybe and um you know you're you're addicted to that in some way as well or that's that's what love feels like to you right is that the the basis behind attachment theory yeah I think that there's a lot to be said about that because I mean I remember consciously feeling like I was addicted and I didn't know why like yeah or like love is a drug that is I think 100% where that comes from and the truth is like especially oxytocin itself is Mm. a very addictive hormone um, and women, so oxytocin is the cuddle hormone, but it's also what women, se- um, secrete, I guess is the word when they give birth and it's what helps us bond with our children. Yeah. And so women are actually, we give off more oxytocin or we have higher levels of it than men. So when we just even are talking to a man and then, and then hug him, we get more attached naturally and anxious attachments are particularly prone to that. So all of that comes together to be that like literally feeling addicted to someone feeling yeah Mm, I think that's so interesting and how you identified it actually how it was more it was your therapist that also pointed it out I think that that's very interesting because sometimes we can really have blind spots about ourselves because we're so in our own emotions and in our own head and in our own thought process and um I think that this is kind of an interesting concept as well like I have had this situation with myself like when I read attachment I think the book is called attachment and I read it a long time ago and I did I thought it was really interesting and it actually it actually really helped me understand the people around me like even not just romantic relationships but my family and my friends and it was like I thought it was a very interesting concept and then kind of recently a really close friend of mine just read it and she was like oh I was trying to figure out which you are and I was like well obviously I'm anxious and she's like Maybe, but like, I think you, you act like an avoidant. And this was such an eye-opening thing to me because I was like, you know, when you're in the situation, maybe I feel anxious, but the way that I present 
and react to that situation is more in a like avoidant, callous, like by, you know, I don't, that kind yeah. of situation and more of a, so how, how is the attachment theory, how is your attachment style defined? Is it how you're feeling or is it how you present? That's a really good question. Um, or a bit of both, probably. It's, 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 it's maybe a bit of both. It's really more how you're feeling, though, which is why it's so much easier to, quote-unquote, diagnose mm -hmm. your attachment because you know how you feel more than it is to know what someone else's is. Um, because sometimes it can look on the surface, like, you, like you're saying, like... Um, I think I mentioned before protest behavior. Yeah. So I know it all sounds very clinical, um, but all that really means is that, like when I was talking about that strain situation test, the way the kids reacted, that's protest behavior. So, for instance, where a secure person's more forgiving, insecure attachment types have protest behavior. So when we're hurt, you know, like for instance, the guy I was talking about who I was like so preoccupied with, right? If he took too long to get back to me and it, it made me anxious, once I would hear from him, I wouldn't respond for another couple hours because I was like, well, he didn't respond to me. I'm not going to respond to him. Yeah. So technically that looks like avoiding, right? Yeah. But that's really me being anxious and, and just not getting back to him because I'm mad at him because he hurt me, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's kind of the distinction, I think, is that it can look like I'm avoidant in that way, but I think it, it depends where it's coming from. Because when avoidant people are avoiding, it's because they're overwhelmed with the vulnerability. And so that's why it really comes from inside yourself more. Are you feeling overwhelmed with the vulnerability or are you avoiding because you're mad at the person and you want to get back at them? Yeah, I think it definitely really helps though to have a therapist or a coach or even a close friend that really knows you and you can be vulnerable with and they, they kind of know how you're feeling to be able to like observe that in you because yeah, sometimes you don't see these things in yourself. And, um, so. yeah. Mm. Yeah, or you don't have the information. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I'd heard the terms attachment theory on different podcasts. And I think we talked about this on our first call, but no one really went into detail about it. Like, they would kind of say it in passing. And, and I remember, like, my ears perking up. But it wasn't until my therapist was able to see those patterns in me yeah. that, it really, it really clicked for me, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, I, I advocate a coach or therapist a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And can you also be, I've always heard about attachment style, as you said, on different podcasts and things like that, described as like, either you're secure, either you're anxious, either you're avoidant or a combo of the, the latter two. So are those kind of fixed or can you be a, a combination of both or in some situations, can you be secure? Because to me, I always think of it as like being on a spectrum more than these actual fixed yes. styles. Um, you know, can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, we definitely are on a spectrum. Um, we have a primary or dominant style mm -hmm. um, based on how we were raised, you know, which I've talked about, but... Um, our experiences can definitely influence our attachment style. Um, and because attachment is all about relating to other people, right? Different people are going to trigger us in different ways. So whereas I, like me, for example, I've become quite secure in my romantic relationship now. There's a lot of trust there. Yeah. But yeah. I actually do get triggered still, and my anxious style comes out more 
uh, in platonic relationships sometimes, not with good friends who I've been with for a really long time, but people I don't know as well actually is where my anxious style comes out more. And I start to worry like, are they going to interpret this badly? Are they going to think this? Are they going to think that? Um, and so it definitely is along a spectrum and it depends on the relationship itself. But usually we do have a more dominant style that we see most of the time. Um, that all said, I like to tell people when I said before, you know, diagnosis, I think sometimes when we learn our attachment style, we become so fascinated with it and with others that we start diagnosing everyone or he's an avoidant and she's anxious and, you know, um, and I, the thing is that they do, they can change because like I mentioned, it's all our subconscious programming and we can reprogram ourselves right at any time. It just takes intention and conscious thought and especially anxious attachments. They, if they have a secure person in their life, they actually tend to become more secure um, because they, they, or like, because they start to see that consistency because both secure and anxious want closeness. The difference is anxious people become preoccupied with it in a different way. And so if the secure person can soothe and reassure them, they tend to start feeling more secure over time. Okay. Amazing. So it's definitely not a diagnosis. It's, it's not as boxed in as it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, how do the different attachment styles relate to each other? That's a great question. So, um, that, that first one, the one I just mentioned, anxious and secure, um, they're a great combination uh, because they both want love and they both want closeness and the secure person is happy to reassure the anxious person. Um, the other kind of very common dynamic is um, anxious and avoidant and that one, like I was talking about, most of my relationships in the past were with avoidant people and that's actually not um, not shocking because secure people actually take up 50% of the population, which is nice. It's a high number. Wow. Where do you find these people? I've never, I don't think I've encountered any of them. <laughs> I know, right? Well, <laughs> um, and that's because they pair off more quickly, Okay. which means that in the dating pool, there's more anxious and avoidant people. <laughs> And so, which is part of what makes dating so hard, I think. Um, but, and so what that means though is anxious and avoidant people are actually really interesting because they're kind of this, you know, that really typical love-hate relationship is often very anxious and avoidant people because they serve each other but also are really bad for each other at the same time. Yeah. Because where an avoidant person is afraid to be vulnerable, the anxious person will overcompensate and, and provide that emotional intimacy and make up for it. Um, and it also kind of reinforces both of their beliefs, whereas the avoidant person is believe, you know, continues to believe that people are just needy and the anxious person continues to believe that people will leave them or reject them. Mm. And so it's this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy with them. And because there's more of them in the dating pool, they tend to be a very common dynamic, mm. but one that can be dealt with, but takes a lot of awareness to yeah. work through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So since you touched on that, you know, what if you are in a relationship and you recognize that that dynamic is there and, um, 
you know, I have seen in other spaces or heard other people say that that's like just the worst dynamic and it's kind of doomed and, you know, but if people are in that dynamic, how can, are they doomed or can they work through it and how would they work through that? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're doomed per se, um, but I will say they have some challenges ahead. Um, yeah. I think that it really all comes down to self-awareness um, and to being emotionally intelligent. Uh, things, you know, and um, it, there's this therapy called um, acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT it's called, and it's all really about mindfulness is what it comes down to, and it encourages you to really name your emotions, to see your emotions, and, to, and when you see them, deal with them rather than avoid them. And so things like you know, meditation pair really well with attachment theory or journaling, um, just being present because the idea is to like know your emotion, know what it is. And then if you are aware of attachment theory and you understand what your needs are, like, you know, an avoidant person, for instance, um, here's, here's a good example. Let's say there's an avoidant person who works all the time mm. and when they're working, they're not on their phones, but the anxious person really needs that like consistent reassurance throughout the day. So if that anxious person is constantly texting the avoidant person, it might trigger them like, oh, they're constantly bothering me throughout the day. I need to work, you know? Yeah. And, and so that can create this kind of triggering dynamic where they're both uncomfortable, right? But if they're both aware of it, what they can do is the, is the avoidant person can say, okay, during these times during the day, I'm going to text you and let you know I'm thinking of you when it's convenient for me. So that the anxious person is reassured, they're calm, they know the person's thinking of them, and they don't have to then text them all day and trigger the, the avoidant person. So you just have to know your style and, and who you are and have some, you know, to, to, able to, to be able to make that work. And be able to have some good communication around that and some acceptance also around that, I think. Because, I mean, yeah, I would be yeah. the same if someone was texting me 24 hours a day it would drive me insane you know and I wouldn't want to text them back do you know what I'm saying so I I can get yeah I can understand. and that might be the avoidant person in you exactly, exactly. Avoid, I've got the split personality going on but um, yeah. yeah so that, that's so interesting so and the final style I guess the, the final coupling style would be secure and avoidant how does that play out so um Secures can kind of make it work with most anyone, um, but they tend to do better with anxious because they already have that commonality of wanting closeness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas avoidance can kind of be um, if if they are pushing the other one away more, um, that can kind of get to a secure person. Um, if they feel, you know, I think the secure person sometimes starts to feel neglected because yeah. they too need love. Um, but again, if there's good communication, it can totally work. Um, but the, the secure person really what they need to be aware of in, in any relationship with an insecure type is that they naturally see the good and they naturally, um, trust and, and believe that their partner is going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But that's only either that's only to a point and they'll get frustrated and leave or, yeah. Or sometimes, because attachment styles, like we said, kind of are malleable, Yeah. Yeah. every now and then a secure person can be sucked into an insecure dynamic, which um, is, 
not great. Yeah, I was going to um, say that as well. Like, is anyone actually 100% secure? Do you know what I mean? I would I would think that, yeah, uh, yeah you get to a stage where you're, you're mostly secure and you're presenting, you know, as a secure attachment style. And that's your, you know, homeostasis, I guess. But maybe in certain situations, people would be triggered to, like, if they were with someone who was very avoidant, then they may slip slip into that, like, anxious space. Do you think that that happens? Um, yeah, I think that, I think that that's, yes, 100% can happen for, yeah, because we're all human at the end of the day, you know, and, um, you know, secure people they want their partners to be happy. They make their partners, and that's kind of where their vulnerability is, is that they want their partner, their partner's happiness is equally important to them as their own happiness. Yeah. And because of that, they can sometimes get taken advantage of. Um, and we all have anxieties and insecurities, you know, that play into it. So, yeah, I know we kind of say secure, and you, we get this idea of, like, this, like, idealistic yeah. perfect person yeah. who's never troubled Tick, I'm there. You know, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah that's not the case that would be so amazing if that was possible that would be incredible I know <laughs> and um how do the attachment styles play out when it's anxious and anxious and avoidant and avoidant so those are hard um to maintain um anxious and anxious tend to create just double anxiety drama you know yeah yeah a lot a lot of just like doubting the other person all the time kind mm. of thing where an avoidance the problem is is that there's no one who is grounding the intimacy mm. so you know they might have a fling and they might get along and stuff but there's no one who's kind of continuing the connection the intimate connection so um definitely those those pairings are more struggle more than like an anxious and an avoidant even. Mm, how interesting, how interesting. And so, um, as I said, speaking of secure attachment, like what does, what does that look like in the space of being human, um, but being in that secure attachment space? And also, do you have any practical things that people can do to move towards secure attachment? Yeah, so secure attachment, and the reason the reason I ask that question is because a lot of the times any of the podcasts that I've heard is the obsession is always on the the more the insecure attachment styles and I'm always like okay that's great it's amazing to identify those things but where are you going where are you aiming and so I'd love for you to be able to paint a picture for that and maybe some practical tools that people can implement um, to move towards that in that direction yeah um, definitely. Uh, Secure is what we're all hoping for, right? Um, and what secure looks like is honest communication, effective communication and honest communication, which is, you know, so easy to say, like, but what does that mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, what that really means is, you know, a lot of times we have these inner dialogues, right, in our own head, and we start it's very easy to start making assumptions about what the other person is thinking and feeling. Yeah. But that's the own, yeah. our own story we're telling ourselves about the situation. Yeah. Secure people yeah. tend not to do that as much. Secure people bring up issues as they feel them, as they see them, and, and they, they feel comfortable doing so. Um, 
And so that's, that's the number one thing is that especially anxious people who hold in their feelings because they're afraid of how their partner is going to react, mm-hmm. that just creates resentment in them. And then you have this laundry list of all the things you're upset about at your partner. Yeah. So really when you have a feeling, and that's where the vulnerability piece comes in, and this is why it's hard for avoidant people because they're, uh, you know, vulnerability is very scary to them, you know. But the truth is, is that what I've learned in my, especially in my current relationship, is that vulnerability, when it's with someone who's right for you, actually is where the magic in relationships come from. It's what always makes you feel closer in the end. And it's just taking that initial risk to really say what's bothering you to the person. And the key is to say it in as simple language as you can. And I think especially as women, we struggle with this sometimes because... We're not used to bringing up our feelings or we're so worried about hurting someone else's feelings that we kind of dance around the issue. Yeah. But men and especially avoidant people tend to do better when it's very straightforward, simple, unemotional, just like this is how I'm feeling. You know, you come from, you know, you don't want to attack someone. You don't want to blame them. So you don't want to be like, you did this, you did this, you did this, but really just like, You know, and and especially since I've learned about attachment theory and I have that language, I'll be like, I'll say, you know, I'm feeling really anxious right now. Um, I, you know, like I need some reassurance, you know, Um, or like, for instance, in my own relationship, like a very minor example, because even though I'm secure now in my relationship, my anxious stuff comes up, you know, and so for instance, like my fiance, he's the cook in our relationship and I do the dishes, you know, (laughs) and that's like our trade off. And I sometimes get caught up with work and don't do the dishes. And sometimes I have this like intense shame that I'm not contributing to the relationship and I'll start like beating myself up up about it, you know? And whereas in the past, I might not share that with him. I I will say like now, like I'm feeling really like, like that, like I'll start thinking that he's going to be mad at me or he's going to be upset, you know? And so I kind of bring it up. But then by my even just saying, I'm like nervous that you're going to be, are you like, I'll literally just say to him, are you mad at me right now? Are you upset with me? Are you mad that I didn't do the dishes? And, and he'll say, no, you're crazy. I'm fine. You know? And then it reassures me and all is okay. You know? And so it really is just that constant dialogue of saying what you're feeling in that straightforward way. Yeah. You know? And that, that really builds that trust and that intimacy in the relationship as well. And you're right, in those spaces of vulnerability that you share with that person and no other person, that's, that is where the magic of the relationship is, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, okay, that's amazing. And um, that sort of leads us into the next um, question in regards to how do we practice that? So, you know, we've, we've identified attachment, our own attachment style, we're aiming for secure ourselves, and we've possibly identified our partner's attachment style. So where do, how do we practice the balance between accepting someone's attachment style and giving space for that and, um, you know, and compromising on your own, um, you know, sacrificing your own needs? And how does um, setting healthy boundaries and effective conscious communication play into all of this? Yeah, I mean... The truth is, you want to try not to sacrifice your needs as much as possible, um, and that can be tricky to balance. Um, 
but like I, in the example I used before, um, which actually was an example in the book, I think you read the one called Attached, the new science of adult attachment, yeah. that book with the, the heart-shaped pills on it. Um, they actually use that example of someone who's working all the time and then someone who's, you know, the, the idea is to find a win-win situation, you know, um, which is easier said than done, of course. But the truth is, is that if there are significant needs being unmet, like the anxious person isn't getting the attention they need or the reassurance and the avoidant person isn't getting the space they need, um, resentment does build over time. So rather than sacrificing, it really just comes down to like setting, like setting those boundaries. So for instance, like for avoidant people, it's really important to communicate like, in a really kind way, like, hey, babe, I love you, and I want to spend time with you later, but I need a couple hours to myself right now, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and anxious people really appreciate that, appreciate being told, like, I love you, and I want to be with you. I'm reassuring you. I'm giving you your needs, but I also need my needs. And typically, you know, adults who are understanding people – um, respond well to that, you know? Um, so I, I don't think that you have to sacrifice your needs. Yeah. Um, so long as you keep that communication going, if you're in a, the challenge happens when you can't find that balance, when you can't find that communication balance or you can't find those compromises and you're going to constantly trigger each other. In my personal opinion, I think those are kind of doomed relationships. Yeah. And I, I find a lot of people spend too long in that dynamic, yeah, unable yeah. to get out of it because they keep justifying, oh, well, I haven't tried hard enough or, you know, we still have so much potential, you know, and they, but they responded to me really well these few times, but they aren't responding, you know, like, and it's like, well, yeah, they maybe have responded to you well a few times, but you want to look at how consistent it is. Mm. Are they consistently mm. emotionally available for you? Because that ends up being the key. Yeah. You know? yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think yeah. on the other side as well, from the from an anxious person in a relationship with an avoidant, for example, for the anxious person to also be, have the ability to take some space and go, you know what, I'm I'm going to give that person some space because that's what that's their needs, you know, and to balance that out as well. Um, yes, um, definitely. Um, and actually, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another big part of it, which is you know, when we're triggered, we're actually thinking from our, our reptilian brain or our fight or flight brain. We're not thinking from our logical brain. And especially for anxious people who can be really reactive, um, when you feel triggered, the best thing is to go and take that space, actually, even though you, it feels like the opposite of what you want and need. Um, because when you start reflecting on your emotions and like, maybe you meditate a little, it immediately brings you back into your more logical mind where you can reflect on your emotions and like kind of find a more effective solution. It's when we're reacting crazy that it all kind of blows up in your face. Yeah. And then when you're, when you're really triggered in that space, like even from the anxious space or even from the avoidance space like nobody is really thinking clearly and no one's communicating clearly either so um yeah i think that's really healthy advice to be able to just you know take a breath and um to to really i think also to take some time to really understand your own needs before you try you're trying to get things met from other people when you don't actually even really know what you need yourself, you know, I think that that's also something yes. really important to get clear on as well. 
And, um, you know, so what should you look for in a partner? If you are these different, um, if you are these different types. Yeah. Um, well, more, more than anything in a partner, um, you know, we, we can have our lists of what job they have and how tall they are and all the different characteristics we want, superficial things. But the lasting, you know, what really makes a relationship last is how safe you feel to express yourself. Um, and to be seen and heard and respected, your boundaries respected. Um, and so, you know, you can tell that pretty quickly um, from dating, even just on apps, you know. Um, I have a client right now who she she's dating and, and she had a, a, a guy who they had a really great conversation and everything, but they hadn't met in person yet. And he found out that she was going to go on a date with someone else. And he's like, don't go on a date with them. We're, you know, we're to, like... I'm feeling our vibe, like, please don't. He was, like, begging her not to go on a date with someone else. And she's, like, I'm really flattered by this, but I'm a little worried. And he, I was, like, he's not, he is more responding to his needs for wanting to see you and his own jealousy or control issues than really caring where you're at right now. And you keep voicing to him, I'm seeing new people, like, you don't know him yet, you've never met him but he wasn't really respecting her boundary with that. And to me, that is a huge red flag. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. like the main thing you should be focused, like no matter what attachment style you are, do you feel safe yeah. and do you feel respected? Um, but then in terms of just like what you need, you know, um, avoidant people really need someone who is going to be consistent and straightforward. Mm. So they, they need someone who can tell them how they feel in a way that doesn't feel super emotionally charged because yeah. that will trigger them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and anxious people really need someone who is openly complimentary, openly like very warm and able to reassure them and tell them they love them a lot. And, and that's why they do so well with secure people because they create that safety for them. Yeah. Um, and secure people can really do well with most anyone. Um, but but yeah at the end of the day you need to feel safe in your relationship yeah yeah that's great great advice and so in your back into your own personal story how has attachment theory helped your relationships it's really it's just I have more compassion I think Mm. for everyone in my life yeah when I understand where they're coming from you know it's helped me especially as an anxious type take things less personally um, I start to realize that the way they're acting is not about me, and I realize where it's coming from more. Mm-hmm. And it helps me understand how I can help meet the needs of the people in my life. Um, and then they can do that reciprocally for me, you know? So it really just makes it less stressful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because I think, you know, coming back to what you said at the beginning with your mission in life is to sort of, you know, help people and, you know enforce some give them information so that they can make decisions and I think that that's that's what's so amazing is that you can you're not just shooting in the dark you know you have some information and you can you've got something to work with and so yeah I think that's that's beautiful that's amazing and so tell us about any sort of rock bottom moments or dark nights of the soul that you faced in your life um, that have shaped your path and any modalities that you ha- that helped you to navigate out of those? Yeah. So um, 
Uh, um, for me, every breakup was a dark night of the soul, mm, yeah. I would say. Um, I had one particular relationship, if you can even call it that. I'm now Looking back, I realized he was avoidant. He was like 12 years older than me. He had two children from the time he was like 19 and 21. Um, and he would just never, he never wanted to call me his girlfriend, even though we saw each other on the weekends, even though he relied on me, I couldn't meet his kids and it really tore me apart. And I felt, I just felt so bad about myself. I put him on a pedestal and, and I was really ashamed of my behavior in that relationship, that constant, like I would feel upset and then I'd break up with him and then I, you know, then I'd be the one coming back and that just, I realized like something was not right there, you know, um, and just feeling really depressed after breakups, um, that those were kind of my dark nights of the soul. Um, and, and sorry, what was the second part of your question there? And just sort of, how did you navigate out of that? Like, did you use any particular modalities? Like for me, breakups have always been this like amazing spiritual breakthrough on the other side of these breakdowns, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what modalities did you use to sort of navigate out of that and lift you, lift you up out of that? Um, well, to be honest, the, I read, I, around the time of this breakup, I had found Eat, Pray, Love, mm. the book. And, um, I lo- fell in love with that book. I just, so much of her pain, I just resonated with, yeah. um, yeah. you know, and, and she did, she had this this actually way that she dealt with things in the book, which is that she had a journal she would go to and she would kind of just write down whatever thought she was feeling. And then, it, and she would, she said, I would wait for a response. And she considered that response to be God or the universe or whatever, or maybe yes, it was right. her own intuition. But then it's like, she would, she would put down something like, I'm, not, I'm always going to be alone or, you know, I, whatever her, her problem was. And then once she wrote it down, this peace would wash over her and then whatever it was, God, universe, whatever, she would write down something that would be soothing to her. And it was like, she knew exactly what she needed once it was on paper. And I think there's so much truth to that, that we live so much inside our heads. Um, and we can get so stuck in that loop. And then actually when you write down stream of consciousness without judging yourself, you know, whatever comes out, seeing it on paper and just having it reflected back to you and getting it out, that energy out of your body, I find to be so healing. Mm. Um, and I think the fact that I am a writer and I've naturally always written and I turned to that in my relation, you know, in in my breakups, um, I did a lot of self exploration that way. And it kind of builds your confidence in realizing I actually do know what I need when you can see it written out that you actually can help yourself. And I think that we need that confidence after breakups, yeah, you know, absolutely. that we can trust ourselves. And it's so healthy as well to, I also am a big fan of journaling. I just find if I've, especially if I'm replaying something in my mind, like a conversation that I need to have or something like that, if I can just put it on paper, then it's out of my mind and it's done with. And I've, yeah. I've even had like really miraculous sort of situations happen where I've needed to have a conversation or set a boundary or say something to someone and it, I was mulling it over and you know and as I yeah. as soon as I wrote it down as if I'd said it to that person it was almost my next interaction with that person was as if I'd had that conversation with them I didn't even need yes. to physically have it it was like the energetics of that shifted 
um, just by taking it out of my mind and really putting it down on paper and it shifts those energetics. And I, I found that I've had that happen a few times, actually. It's really interesting. Yes, which is also why, like, um, I encourage people sometimes, especially if they're not getting closure in a relationship, mm. to write a letter to the person. They might not send it, but write it where you can say anything you've ever wanted to say, yeah. you know, that maybe you haven't yeah. gotten out. Um, I also found um, meditation to be really helpful, especially Vipassana meditation. Um, it's like, it's an ancient Buddhist meditation practice all about sitting and not reacting um so you're supposed to sit and kind of feel all the sensations in your body without reacting and I found that very healing um mm -hmm. I still do it I try to do it at least 20 minutes a day and that to me is really good for when you're feeling you know especially after breakups or when you're dealing with really hard emotions it's hard to sit with your emotions um and sometimes there's nothing to do about your emotion but let yourself feel it and Vipassana really teaches you that yeah. to sit and um, I, one of the things I want to do is, uh, create my own Vipassana meditation and record that for people Amazing. to, to yeah. learn to sit with their emotions. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait for that. And I want to just preface that actually give a bit of a disclaimer with the journaling thing. If you are somebody that finds it really hard to speak up and you're like, great, I just need to write it in my journal and I don't need to say it to people that that's not what I'm talking about at all. Like sometimes you do really have to have those conversations. You have yes. to have that clear communication. But, um, you know, sometimes it's also great to journal it out and, and get clear on it as well beforehand. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. That's true. Writing things down does not take the place of having actual the communication. Actual conversation. Um, <laughs> but it might clarify what you want to say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And... Yeah. Um, are there any other wellness modalities or spiritual practices that have shaped your journey and really supported your journey that you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, so in addition to maybe meditation and writing, um, I was always a yogi, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I always found the yoga mat very healing. Um, just And being in a, a community, you know, yoga studios tend to attract like-minded spiritual people mm. who are interested in self-exploration and... And mindfulness. I mean, really practicing gratitude and mindfulness. I think those have become such sound bites in the wellness space these days that they almost kind of sometimes lose their meaning. Yeah. But there's so there's such truth to them. Yeah. You know, and um, I read a there's a money book called The Soul of Money, um, and she kind of takes a, a more holistic approach to thinking about money. And she has this one line: "What you appreciate, appreciates." Mm. Um, so, you know, what you focus on, what you appreciate grows. And I think there's such truth to that. Yeah. Um, and that kind of idea has really helped me that there's so much to be grateful for. I mean, Eat, Pray, Love taught me that too, that it's really sometimes the smallest things like having your coffee outside in the morning, you know, yeah. and really like that ritual of enjoying each little thing in the day can truly make such a difference in, in being present and getting out of your head and getting out of your own ego. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so describe a little more detail about truer love and the services that you offer and what we can expect from you. Yes. Um, I'd love to. So truer love is um, my space where we really focus on female empowerment and love coaching. Um, and it's really, the it's truly more about female empowerment for me. Um, but 
love relationships, I think, bring up so much about our own feelings about ourselves and our own struggles that it's a really interesting place to explore that um, and to just try and be more empowered in your relationships. Um, And so right now uh, I'm offering a lot. I'm doing a lot of one-to-one coaching as I build my service-based side of my business. I'm actually, I have a special right now for Halloween, um, six sessions. Uh, for $250, it's pretty low low scale right now as I'm just building my clientele. So um, that I'm doing, and um, I also offer three-month sessions for people who have more longer-term, you know, they want to explore more long-term. Um, and I'm, I'm building towards doing an attachment theory workshop, and um, I specifically really would like to do a course um, something along the lines of exploring the ancient, um, anxious attachment, especially in women, and how the, that pairing of being a female and, and an anxious attachment, the type of limiting beliefs that causes and how that affects our relationships and how to really delve deep into uh, our own patterns and how to kind of unlearn those beliefs and replace them with more secure attachment um, and, and ways of dealing. So that's kind of generally what I'm doing uh, right now. Amazing. And so tell me about any major influences, sources of inspiration, you know, people you looked up to in the wellness space that you think have shaped your journey. Yeah, so I guess the one off the top of my mind that I just mentioned too is, is Liz Gilbert because she was like such a beacon of love for me. Um, when I first read, read Eat, Pray, Love. And, and the funny thing is, I'm the kind of person who, if everyone's talking about it, I kind of resisted it first. Um, and so I was trying to resist Eat, Pray, Love. But when I found it, uh, I just found her so insightful and um, and calming. And, and so she, I, I think I've read her book once a year for like eight years. Um, but then within the wellness space, um, there's also... Um, a life coach I really like. Um, she's kind of more of a career coach, but she focuses a lot on on life um, and relationships as well. Her name is Ashley Stahl. Mm-hmm. She is uh, a podcast called the U Turn Podcast, okay. and I just find her really relatable. Yeah. Um, really down to earth and very knowledgeable. She's a lot of interesting people on her podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. so those definitely have been a ta- um you know mentors for me. Um, but also just, just having, honestly, my fiance has been a, a huge source of in, inspiration for me yeah. to really see what, um, what security really looks like, you yeah. know, um, and that, that loving presence, how powerful that can be. Wow. Um, so I really wow. encourage people to seek out, even if they don't have a, a secure relationship in terms of a romantic partner, I really suggest like seeking out romantic I mean, not romantic, secure models of relationships. Mm. Um, and even something I find interesting, our pets are actually really good examples of secure relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we don't, we don't, we forgive them easily. We give them love e- easily, you know. And so it sounds silly, but, you know, love like you love your pet, yeah. basically. Yeah, that's amazing. I think they're our biggest teachers. Our pets are like our biggest guides, our biggest teachers. They're gifts from God, yes. I think, you know? Yeah. And um, so are there any resources that you could recommend that you, that you think would be useful for our listeners, like any books, any podcasts, YouTube channels, things like that? 
Yeah, um, there's a lot of books. Um, there are three main books I've, I've read that I find super helpful if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty. Mm -hmm. um, the book we've mentioned that I think we both read, Attached. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Attached, the New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love, and that's by Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. Um, and, then, and that one really explores the different styles in romantic attachment and how they play out. Mm -hmm. um, and then this book, Attachment Theory, um, A Guide to Strengthening the Relationships in Your Life by, I think you pronounce it Thais Gibson? Thais T-H-A-I-S. Um, and she, her approach is a little more academic, mm -hmm. but I think that she really helps you get to the science of attachment theory. Mm. Um, and then another one by um, a woman named Sue Johnson, Dr. Sue Johnson, called Hold Me Tight. And she's actually a relationship therapist, and she has a lot of really relatable, like, she has conversations between, um, she shows examples of conversations between partners that are, are really awesome. Um, and then just um, in general, the um, John and Julie Gottman, they have the Gottman Institute. They do um, love, and relationship, love and relationship counseling. Um, they're really great, and... Um, so you, you can kind of just find them if you Google the Gottman Institute. So those kind of are my main sources of resource. I actually, you know, like we've mentioned, I actually haven't heard a podcast that really goes into attachment theory in detail. So yeah, um, yeah. that's why I really awesome. wanted to have you on as well. And that's why I wanted to take the time to actually go into detail of the different attachment styles. And thank you for doing that so beautifully for us. Because, yeah, as you said, there's many times that I've listened to a podcast and it sort of just brushes over it and I'm kind of like what well, there has to be more to this and so thank you for sharing so much amazing information with us and um, where can our listeners find out about you and truer love they can find me at my website uh, truerlove.com that's t-r-u-e-r -E love um, and then my web my my website my instagram uh, which is underscore truer love, all one word, and then another underscore. So those are my main places. My email's on my website. You can DM me, email me. I, I love chatting and meeting new people. Amazing. Amazing. Sharing about your stories. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. And is there anything else that you have on your heart that you'd really like to share that I haven't asked you about yet? Um, the main thing in relation to attachment theory that I really want people to know and that I notice comes up a lot with clients is that, you know, this is such fascinating stuff. And when you kind of learn your own style and the style of the people in your life, you want to, like I said, diagnose everyone. You want to understand it. Um, but I also find that sometimes they, people do have this idea that it's a diagnosis and suddenly, oh, I'm anxious. And it becomes this kind of like shameful thing. Mm. And, and, and they very quickly want to suddenly, like, be secure. You know, like, there's this desperation almost to, like, getting mad at themselves when their anxiety comes up yeah. um, and wanting to kind of just, like, push it away mm -hmm. um, because they think they have to be secure. Mm -hmm. And I just, I guess I want to just uh, reiterate that, that the, the idea is not, as much as we want to strive for secure, it's more about accepting your current attachment style yeah. and learning how to, yeah. to live with it and accept it and manage it rather. And, and you can try and make strides to be more communicative and, and be more secure, of course. Mm. 
but that it's not all on you alone to do that because attachment style is about how you relate to other people. And so if you're in a relationship, you can't be the one doing all the work to fix your attachment style. You know, um, it's about both of you. And so it's also on your partner to help understand your attachment style and, and, and give you space for it, you know? So just self-compassion, you know, be, be kind to yourself, love yourself. Um, that, that's the main thing on my heart. Amazing. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. So beautiful. And we just have some quick, um, listener questions as well. We had some great questions for you. So I'm just going to quickly bring them up. Okay. Okay, so the first one is, I noticed that I'm able to be extremely generous with my friends, some family members more than others, and people I'm in community with around how they just show up to be in my life. For example, some people just need a lot more time alone or forgiveness and acceptance, um, and they can do something and actually not be able to do it exactly the way that they said they were, and I'm able to give um, them that generosity, but when it comes to a partner and love relationships, the opposite can be true. Um, is, this, is this common, and how do I shift out of this and be generous to all? I love that question, and yes, it is very common, um, and that is because we are more triggered in our romantic relationships because they're so intimate, um, that they bring up a lot more vulnerability for us than um, more platonic or even familial relationships can. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And often, I, I'd say it really depends on what is your attachment style and what is your partner's attachment style. Um, you know, if you are, for instance, an anxious person um, and you are attracting a lot of avoidant partners, you're going to be more triggered in that relationship than you would be with maybe your friends who aren't necessarily avoidant. Mm. Um, Because like I had mentioned, the avoidant and and anxious attachments tend to be more common in dating. Um, And so I think that that would be the first thing is, is really see what is your attachment style, try and figure out your partners and see if there's a commonality between the people you've, you dated um, who, who maybe are triggering you. And I would get really specific about where are you feeling you don't want to be generous? Is it after they've done something that's hurt you? Are you holding on to resentments? Um, we tend to have, it's easier to communicate with our platonic friends, and so resentments build less yeah. than in romantic yeah. relationships. Yeah, yeah. And can you have one kind of attachment style for love relationships and a different kind of attachment style for friendships, work relationships, and other kind of relationships? You can. Um, it really has to do with how trusting you feel in that relationship. So what's more common is that we have a primary style um, across all our relationships, but that maybe they um, come out more in certain relationships. So um, some people feel more anxious in their love relationships, but feel a little more secure in their platonic relationships, but maybe have pieces of anxiety that come out or vice versa. Um, Like I mentioned with myself, I feel more secure in my love relationship now, but I have more anxiety that comes out in relationships with people who I don't have trust built with yet. Mm. Mm. So um, you you definitely can, though normally there's pieces of your dominant style in every relationship. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and the last two questions. I imagine that getting to secure attachment style is like helping a baby learn to walk. 
allowing them to learn through doing, reassuring them along the way, and holding a safe container for them to learn within. Mm -hmm. Would this be a correct model of how to get from anxious or avoidant to secure? Yes, however, um, in a lot of ways, it's on that partner to provide that for you. So mm. that's a great way to think about it. I, I really love that analogy. But um, if you're the anxious person, then it's not your job to provide that safe container. It's the secure person who you want to provide that safe container for you. Mm -hmm. So that's where I say it's, it's really equally both partners in the relationship to provide that safe container. Mm -hmm. You can't do it by yourself. Oh, interesting. Interesting. It's, it is an interesting side of wellness, I think, because it really is a space. A lot of stuff in the wellness industry now is very much about like working on yourself, knowing yourself, understanding yourself you know, healing yourself, mm -hmm. all of those kind of things. But this work, really, you can't do on your own. You have to involve other people. And um, I think that's why it makes it really powerful as well. But this last question is a great question. Um, how do I navigate the conversations with family, friends, and intimate relationships that I need their support as I move from anxious to secure attachment? What helpful things can I share with them around this process that would benefit my journey to secure? Oh, I love that question. Love that question. Mm. Uh, and I, I think all people should ask that question. Yeah. Um, mm. I think that as you continue to learn about attachment theory and what I've done in my life is I talk about it a lot. Um, and I find that people are actually really interested in it because it applies to everybody. So mm. I'd say starting by just introducing the general idea um, so people know what you're talking about. And then that kind of segues into that your style is anxious and that as an anxious style, what you really need is you need constant reassurance, you know, um, even saying I love you more or reminding people, reminding you um, why you're important to them. And even things like, you know, if you have a friend who's going to be busy and unavailable and you're expected to see them, tell them, I, please let me know, you know, I'm going to be free from this time to this time. Keep people updated. You know, it's that constant communication. Let them know that that communication is really important to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the truth is that when we can be, especially as anxious types, but all types, when our needs are being met, so for an anxious type, that means being reassured that the person's not leaving. Mm. It actually quiets our, our kind of attachment system so that we don't feel as anxious. And then we're actually more able to feel like ourselves and be really comfortable and normal in the world. And so actually the people in your life will benefit from this by knowing preemptively how to reassure you and make you feel better. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because I would never have actually even thought about having that conversation as upfront in that way as saying, you know what, I'm working on something right now. This is what I've identified in myself. And I really need your support and help to do that. I think that that's actually really um, powerful. And um, yeah, I think it's really empowering. Yeah. And that's right off the bat, setting the precedent for effective communication for that straightforward, you know, and I find that to be such you know, especially when you've established that what attachment theory is with someone like I have friends who now, you know, like if they don't get back to me, I'm like, I'm feeling anxious, just letting you know, you know, and, and then they'll respond because they know, oh, she needs the reassurance, yeah. you know, so you like kind of being able to 
to implement that into your regular language, I think, is a great thing. And it also, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of shadow work as well. And it's almost like owning that shadow aspect of yourself, I think. And um, that's always really powerful. That's always creates, yeah. um, you know, some some power behind it. So, okay, that's so amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Tara, in this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got some things to take away from our amazing guests' insight. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and also leave us a review. And for more information on the Hadassah Collective, you can visit our Instagram page at Hadassah Collective. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode at the same time next week. And until then, have a wonderful week.